0: And welcome to Veterans to Success. And today I have Steve McCarthy with me. So great to have you on the show today. And we're going to be going through what you did before the military, what you did during the military, and now uh, the exciting career you've got uh, since you've left. Hello, and welcome. Hello. Look, Thank you. Um, you've you've had a great career. Um, we we've met yeah. we, we've met now. I've had a, a few chats. Yeah. And, and I'm really intrigued about what you're going to be sharing with us today. And, okay. and for those of you who are listening on the podcast uh, and not watching on, on on video, then we've got a, a really complex chart behind Steve, which shows all sorts <laughs> of goals, here yeah. up and down and side to side. So I'm we'll,
1: no artist.
0: <laughs> we'll probably come on to that um, sometime during today. Tell me a little bit about your time before the military and what got you interested in joining. Um,
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, you you kind of, uh, when you were doing the intro, you said about, you know, um, the exciting work journey. I guess, you know, prior to the military, it was pretty unremarkable, I would say, is is kind of a, a way of describing it. Um, I kind of um, left school and, and and had a few different jobs trying to, I guess, having difficulty settling or finding what I actually wanted to do.
0: Right.
1: Um, and then I was very fortunate. Uh, I started to work in a very small firm. Uh, and the guy that was um, a colleague of mine at the time was ex-military. He'd recently left the Royal Navy and he'd, he'd sort of achieved leading hand um, mm-hmm. sort of rank. Um, left and, and of course, as a a kind of a 17 year and a half sort of boy um, at the time, you know, listening to, you know, the exciting stories and the places that he went and the things that, you know, the adventures that he had, it was kind of an easy decision to to go to the careers office, which was located in Birmingham city centre at the time, and kind of sign up. Right. but not really knowing what I was signing up for. So, you know, he kind of advised me that, you know, the be- the best kind of trade within uh, the Royal Navy at the time was kind of in, as an air engineer mechanic within the fleet air arm. And he kind of described that as they're always first off the boat and always last back on it. Um, so again, you know, in terms of sales techniques for the armed forces, you know, it, it was pretty convincing. Um, you know, so yeah, so I decided that that's what I was going to join as, and then went through obviously the normal kind of standard recruiting process, uh, and I think I joined two months shy of my eighteenth birthday back in nineteen eighty nine. So yeah, so it was pretty unremarkable prior to that. Um, you know, a few bits of you know factory work. Um, really, I guess you know I I would sum it up as as, as struggling to find what my purpose was at that time. And and I guess at that time as well, the military was completely unknown to me. Mm. Um, you know, just state education with the general kind of options: do you want to stay on at school, sixth form, college? Um, you know, it wasn't even apprenticeships really at the time; it was more the YTS kind of schemes. Yeah. and then you want to find employment essentially. And um, so, options I wouldn't say were limited. Um, but certainly, you know, when what I think about careers information and careers days, there was nothing really around military that kind of, you know, was was kind of at the forefront of of choice, I would say.
0: Right, so it's all down to an ex-able seaman who... Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> who inspired you to join, and that, that's interesting, and I like the terminology, like, but you were... First on the boat, last off. Well, that's like the Royal okay. Engineers, first in, last yeah,
1: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So a lot of similarities
1: yeah. there. Yeah, uh, I still get. I've got quite a lot of um, guys that I kind of work with that are ex-military as well. And and obviously, you know, when I tell them my ex wafu they're kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We, all, we always take the mick out of each yeah. other. Re- not real Navy, I'm called, which is fine because I mean, in the six years I was in the forces, I only went to sea for three months.
0: <laughs> that, well, that's great. Well, that, that's good if you don't like the sea. Uh, it uh, well,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I spent most of my time on 845 Squadron with the Royal Marines. So th- there was no real call to, to go to sea uh, as such.
0: Well, which brings me on to uh, your military career. So, We've got an idea now what prompted you to join the military. So tell me a bit about your military career then.
1: Yeah, so I joined in 89, um, standard kind of uh, uh, training, um, you know, through basic training and and more trade training at at what was HMS Daedalus, which I believe is not there anymore. um, As many, um, I guess, you know, um, bases that probably over time have been consolidated. Um, so yeah, so I joined, um, as an air engineer mechanic, you know, I had this vision of, of small ships, flight type 42s, working on links, traveling the world. I got given a gun and sent to Northern Norway. Um, so yeah, it was, um, a bit of a wake up call is how I would describe it. Um, that first week yomping up a mountain with a backpack and, and, you know, Royal Navy skis, which were essentially pieces of wood. Um, so yeah, it was a wake up call. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed the time. I had um two tours of um Iraq, um Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, um lots and lots of kind of um adventures, you would say. So I joined at a time where the threat had sort of changed in the world from the Cold War. So I remember my early time was spent in Norway. Um, and then almost, you know, within uh, weeks, it was switched to the Middle East. Um, and the threat that Saddam Hussein at the time had posed with the invasion of Kuwait. So, yes, yeah, so I was very much on the ground. I was an air engineer mechanic supporting the Royal Marines on 845 Squadron. Um, so essentially everywhere they kind of went, we went with them um, as the engineers. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we, we were stationed out in um, the Middle East for about a year in the end. Um, before I returned back to Yeovilton um, and seen out my time before I, I eventually left in about 95.
0: And, and what sort of challenges did you face while you were in? Because it couldn't have been plain sailing all of the time.
1: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. I guess, you know, uh, as a young person, um, you know, I think it's a fantastic life. Um, you know, you're surrounded by you know what what become um, you know very very good friends, um, and you all you know kind of most of you have similar interests. And I think the life of, of um, in, in the forces is fantastic for that. The, the development opportunities, the training opportunities, sport in general. You know, I played a lot of sport within the forces, um, and and the exposure to to, to different um, initiatives was amazing, and getting involved in that. You know, but it, it it does come with its challenges, you know. Like I say, I, I spent the first part, the first sort of nine months doing a lot of Arctic survival training, which at the time, you know, when I when we were shipped out to the Middle East, you we thought, well, actually, what what was you know, I know there is a changing face in the world, but you know, but actually it sets us up quite well because it was actually colder in Saudi Arabia than it was in Norway, um, at night. Um so yeah, so that, that worked quite well actually. But yeah, I, I guess it does teach you some real sort of life lessons, you know, things that, you know, like organizational skills have never left me. And it's something that's been a particular strength of mine, you know, being on time for things, being organized, being prepared, all of those things that I've got a real good grounding of have really set me up in my career uh, and actually kind of formed part of the career that I had throughout the my time within manufacturing Um, And those standards as well, having really high standards of things, uh, has hugely helped. Um, So, you know, things like even down to how you present yourself, how you prepare for things, um, has helped hugely, you know. So some of them core behaviours that the military kind of teach you, um, I think have been, um, I guess, invaluable within um, working, you know, civilian uh, roles,
0: to be honest. And, and, I, and I think that you know many of the clients I work with recognize the the qualities that that we discuss, and and I think there's a lot of soft skills that the military gives that is not necessarily understood or appreciated at the time. For instance, you mentioned training in Norway, and then you get posted to the Middle East, and you think, oh, it's just warm there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And then not... you, and then. <laughs> you find that you're freezing your... What do you call this off at night? Yeah. Uh, and, and then you recognise, ah, so that's what I, that's what they taught me. And I mean, it must come because it does to me. There are things that I still recognise. I was doing a job the other day and I thought, ah, so that's why I learned that in the yeah, middle. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That, that's you the know? value
0: of it. Yeah, because, you know, it's a bit like kismet or, or the, the eureka moment and you think, ah, at the time... Doing that seemed pretty useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and now, yeah, it's pretty good. Does
1: that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I, I guess as well. One of the other things I was talking to somebody the other day, and this really struck me. You know, I because well, I, I do a lot of coaching, and, and I was talking. There was a I I was doing some coaching with somebody in the workplace that was struggling with a couple of relationships. I, I was kind of explaining that you know I went from um you know kind of a typical childhood then into school where you've got – you, so you've got the child-parent relationship, you've got the student-teacher, and then into the armed forces, which is a very much, uh, I guess, a hybrid of those. Mm-hmm. So you learn a lot of respect for people, you know, hierarchy, or, you know, people in command positions. And, and really the military really teaches you that, you know, as is not to question why, as is to do or die, essentially, Yeah. And I really struggled when I first went out into civic history with that you know going more into organizations where there's more of a collaborative approach amongst the hierarchical I guess uh, structures.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I and I remember going into kind of my first proper role within um, within manufacturing and almost freezing when you know people of a director level would would be around in the environment. Because you know, again, you know, if you're in the military and your commanding officer comes in, um, you know, you stand to attention. You know, yeah. you, you mind what you say. It's, uh, madam, wh- whatever it is. And and, and I'd had that through, throughout my whole life in terms of those structures. So it was one of the things that really took me a while to kind of get used to that more collaborative. And I guess there's a lot more relationships within organisations that are uh, more of, I guess, more friendly based or, and softer. Yeah, that hierarchical, you know, stand to attention because you kind of your know, line managers walked in the room,
0: I, and and I recognise that as well because when I started, when I left, I started as a financial advisor in London, uh, um, which I still do today, and and when I when I turned up in London, you know, West End, Lincoln and Field, and I walk in and I'm just yeah, looking yeah, yeah. At everything, I'm thinking, wow, this is so big, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, is, this is absolutely. I was just in awe, and and now I, I walk into a room, a business meeting with a client, and and we in, at the end of the day, we're people, aren't we?
1: Absolutely, yeah. But but you know, sometimes we really struggle. I, I, I in my early career, I really struggled with that hierarchical kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because of I guess because of my uh, behaviours what had been um, taught to me, how I'd been um, sort of conditioned. what which,
0: which is interesting because I, I, I do want to touch on what was the biggest challenge when you transitioned, and I think you are already touching on it, really, about how it was difficult to separate military discipline to civilian. Yeah, I... I, I, I
1: I guess at the time. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know what it's like now. Um, when you leave the forces, I mean, i you know, you're talking sort of. Um, I know it's harsh to say, but thirty years ago, um, but I'm not quite maybe twenty five. Um, I'm still clinging on to the fact it's not quite so <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I, and I remember kind of you know at the time. And, and again, I get I don't know what it's like now, but it was kind of eighteen months notice you had to give at the time. Um, if you if you went early. Um, and then he went through it was kind of a, a resettlement process, but but options again were limited. I remember, you know, kind of choosing a course to go on um and I chose household electrics and I spent a week at HMS Nelson um retraining to be a, a household electrician. Um, but I kind of just plucked that out of the air um, as something I could potentially do. Um, but um, but but I guess was there a lot of education, so it was a challenge. Um, and actually, I was really fortunate because I I exited the forces at the time where uh, Land Rover were going through a real um, sort of growth phase. They just re to just launch the Freelander, um, and they were recruiting heavily. Um, so the guy I remember him actually there was a, a resettlement officer in Birmingham City Centre kind of a very traditional sort of kind of sergeant major type, you know, and he was responsible for resetting the, um, ex-armed forces at the time. And he put a lot of people into Land Rover on the assessment days. And so I was successful in, in kind of, um, securing that as employment. Um, but I guess, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of signposting. There wasn't a lot of information. and You know, these are your options. And I know you touched on um, kind of financially. There was certainly yeah, nothing that springs to mind that helped me financially re-enter civilian society. Nothing sticks out at all in that,
0: which is which is a major problem, really, isn't it? Because I remember, I remember once we were working with uh, an infantry battalion, and one chap was put in front of the O.C. for a two-five-two charge. Uh, for uh, not managing his finances properly and, and, and the upshot was he was overdrawn by a considerable amount of money uh, and he said to the OC innocently he got his checkbook out and said sir I don't I don't understand why I've got no money look I've got lots of money and he just flipped through his checks and 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 I mean that may be an extreme case but but does, does that sort of gets the picture. Well it gives a picture of, of worthy. So financial education is very important, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. And and it is um in any walk of life, Joe. And if you think about schools these days, you know, um, you know, it's important we teach our children um, you know, the the importance of budgeting and, and credit control mm-hmm. and what does interest rates mean and how do banks work versus financial institutions, you know, what's capital gains tax, all of these things that helps them in the real world. And you know, excuse my, I guess, ignorance, but maybe spending that much time teaching them algebra rather than teaching them kind of, you know, how the financial world works would be more valuable, in my humble opinion. Yeah. I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, and and in fact, I get involved with schools and go in, and we've got modules that we teach them. So it is; it's very important. Absolutely. And the feedback that we get is brilliant because, as you say, maths, a good basic education is very important. They need to be taught other stuff. Don't yeah,
1: life skills as well, you know, it's all, it's all things like that, that we rely on kind of parents and support networks to kind of do. And, you know, you know yourself, you enter into the working world, and things are better these days, and we have evolved. But, again, you know, your first pay packet when, you know, you've got tax and national insurance, and think, wow, what's that? Oh, wow, I thought I was getting X, and now suddenly it's reduced hugely because I've had to pay this out before I even get it. Yeah, yeah, um, I know. Yeah, so trying to understand that whole work, financial world in business, you know, again, you know, and I think that when I was, I remember in the uh, when I was in the armed force, you certainly during basic training, there were elements of financial sort of awareness training, mm. but it wasn't huge. It wasn't a huge emphasis on that.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and like you said, it was at a time where we kind of used checkbooks more than anything else. I remember, you know, ripping out checks and using them and cashing checks um before you know the, the real use of plastic came
0: along. And 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 if you're a younger listener and you and you do not know what a checkbook is, go on go on Google what a checkbook is. Yeah. And you'll you'll see because I mean I don't I still I've still got a checkbook actually. I, I hardly ever use it because um, I, I don't people, that one. people don't use cash anymore, hardly anyway.
1: No, but certainly not in business. But I find Mm. that certainly in social circles, a lot of people still using cash. Right. Um, But certainly in business, yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, you know, I was looking on social media the other day and and sort of how advanced Japan is and they're using all sorts for payments, even, you know, iReads and everything at the moment. You know, it's phenomenal the technology in in the Far East. It really is.
0: So from Land Rover, I mean you've had you've had a verdict career. Um mm. where where did you go after that? And just give a snapshot of how you've developed because I know what you're doing now as as is as a consequence of everything that you've done before, if that makes sense
1: yeah so i spent a number of years at Solliol with land rover um, and I, I sort of progressed up to being a, a kind of i went a couple of different routes i went production management and then i specialized in engineering and support engineering and it's where i kind of got a flavor of kind of some of the improvement philosophy like six sigma lean and um, some of the modern manufacturing philosophies world-class manufacturing and then i went into aerospace Um, And I spent a number of years as part of the Dunlop and Mega group. And again, in predominantly continuous improvement roles um, and looking more at how do we improve processes, improve efficiencies, improve the overall environment, and essentially make the um, businesses more profitable. And then I spent some time um, in a a well-known carpet manufacturer. Um, and that was a that was an interesting challenge of, of implementing modern manufacturing practices into a very traditional, archaic business. I think they were about 300 years old. Mm. Um, and they had sites in India and Portugal also. Before finally um, sort of settling within a, um, an American-based organization that provided kind of maintenance services into some of the big sort of global manufacturers, people like Caterpillar I and mean. Eason. And and helping them transition sites, but also um, again improving um, sort of machine efficiencies and helping them improve their overall profitability. Um, And I guess all the way through the kind of the the continuous improvement kind of journey that I've been on, the focus has been on upskilling people, training, coaching, uh, but also looking at processes themselves and technology and how we can bring the three together to overall improve the profitability of the business.
0: You know, the the way you the way you go through it, it's it it it, it was a breeze, wasn't it? Everything went right. All uh, the uh, uh, all
1: uh, challenges. Well there's been lots and lots of
0: challenges. <laughs> so okay. so I can see your expression there. So tell me some of the challenges. What would a bit, what was a big one for you? Because because what I want what the purpose of this question, right, Steve, to just to give you the heads up is what we tend to do when we reach a more experienced stage, shall we say, is we tend to look at the good stuff because the bad stuff's being put to side. So what I want, because some of the, some of the guys listening to this, uh guys being male or female, might be going through some yeah. bad stuff. Yeah, and 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 if they they're listening and they think, oh yeah, it's easy for you because everything went great and you didn't have any problems. So And when you're in it at the time, it can be quite overwhelming and maybe disempowering. So what was a period where you thought, flipping heck?
1: I think um, the the time – so in terms of challenges, I've got one kind of um, funny, interesting story, and then just to come back to your point about, you know, a serious kind of challenge for a business Mm. – so partway through my Land Rover career, I was given an opportunity to go and um, spend some time out in Brazil. Um, and I was working on Defender at the time, which is kind of like a Meccano set. Mm. Um, so um, uh, Defender have a process where they can kind of ship these things all over the world in crates and then build them in the country that they're in, which gives them obviously tax breaks, etc., incentives also. Mm. So we got the opportunity to do this. Me and another engineer is to go out to Brazil for four weeks Um, and and essentially build 12 Land Rovers in the bottom of a factory that used to be used for um, uh, building escorts uh, and train uh, a number of individuals, uh, local individuals, in terms of the processes. And and overall, the project was very successful. It coincided with the 98 World Cup, which was an amazing experience to be in Brazil at that time, Um, although them them losing three men in the final wasn't great, um, being being, um, in that sort of area. Um, but an interesting challenge, and talk about preparation and, and thinking about your environment. You know, going to Brazil, my only thoughts were a suitcase full of T-shirts and shorts and flip-flops. Um, but actually, we went there in their winter. Um, and when we got there, it was probably like a, a February, March day as it is today. So it was very cold. So we had to then restock up on everything we pra- we practically owned. Um,
0: so you spent, you spent your first month's money on clothes then? Absolutely. Uh,
1: it was so cold in the depths of the factory. It was freezing.
0: So um, another example of how your Norway training came in. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, you know,
1: the challenge of everything I'd learned around preparation and all that had completely gone out the window. Yeah. Um, but I suppose on a more serious note, um, I joined um, the um, textile manufacturer I joined, uh, was just prior to the uh, the major recession that we had Um, this company was very buoyant at the time had a lot of cash in the bank um employed me and another guy to kind of um blank is sheet it, a paper. is this the
0: 2008 one
1: absolutely so i joined them um just in that year um and and they fell off a cliff uh, and it was a, a really challenging time redundancies uh cash constraints um, you know, I was with that company for five years in different roles, um, and every year after the first year was a complete challenge. Um, it was a very negative place. Morale was low. They had huge quality issues, um, lots of cost in the business. Um, ultimately, I mean, the business still exists today, but it doesn't manufacture in the UK anymore. It's got a global footprint um but unfortunately it doesn't manufacture uh, and it had manufactured on that site for like i say over 300 years so it was quite a sad end um to a very very challenged business and despite the best efforts of trying to improve that business which we did make up to improvements the, the the recession took its toll and sometimes you know things are so out of our control um, you know despite our best efforts sometimes you have to just put your hands and say you know what we gave it our best shot.
0: So that was thank you for that that was a big period of maybe feeling like it was a personal failure or even though even though it wasn't down to you how did that affect you the, the failure and how did you deal with it?
1: I think it was tough because, you know, we're uh, part of the role in terms of change management and putting in new processes and helping organizations and individuals is winning hearts and minds and and trying to reassure and trying to coach and motivate people to make improvements on a business that's ultimately failing is very, very challenging. So it became quite a negative, I wouldn't say toxic, um, but it did become quite a negative um, kind of situation which leads them to a lot of stress, anxiety um, and feeling like, you know, you kind of, you want to go uh, and work somewhere else. And ultimately I had to make that decision that, you know, there was no future. I really liked the environment. I liked the people. I liked the role I had, but ultimately there's no future in the business. Um, And the cash constraints had become so sort of um, extreme that we just, we just didn't have the money to kind of develop new processes new products new services so it become quite stagnant as a business um, so ultimately i had to make a personal decision that you know it was time to kind of look for something else and fortunately i I've, 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 I've been quite fortunate throughout my own career that i've been able to do that even when i've had my own when i have my own business which i have now when i face challenges you know i've been able to kind of look at what are the options you know what what can we do uh, and what pathway do we need to kind of take and have I guess the courage to be able to do that?
0: Yeah. and thank you for that. So so you went into this business two thousand and eight to help them improve the processes and coach the teams. And then all of a sudden you find that you you going up a dead end.
1: yeah, it, it was it was tough, Joe. I mean, I remember once I had to streamline my own team. And I um, you know, I'd become, you know, very, very good. Kind uh, we had a good relationship with him. We were a tight-knit team. And one of the the guys I'd actually been on holiday with and we were friends in terms of, of families and things like that. And yeah. ultimately I had to make him redundant because I streamlined um uh, we had to streamline the teams. Um and that was quite a challenging, that was a very negative process. Um, yeah. you know, and and kind of destroyed our personal relationship. Um You know, and and it's not something that sits well with me, but unfortunately, you know, there was no choice at that time.
0: And I mean, that's why I wanted to dig a little bit deeper because I know stuff happens in our lives. Uh, And and whilst we put uh, a great picture on most of it, sometimes it's good to recognise that the challenges that we've had, isn't it?
1: Uh, Absolutely, you know, and... You know, sometimes we have to do things that don't sit well with us, but Mm. ultimately, you know, that's the roles that we're in. Uh, And, you know, having to make um, people redundant, which I have throughout my career, um, doesn't feel good. You know, it doesn't feel good, you know. Um,
0: And I suppose it's for the greater good um, at some point, isn't it? Yeah. I guess, you know, we
1: look at, you know, the, the the pros and cons of of management, supervision, corporate, whatever role that you're in where you've got teams. Um, you know, you know, you take you have to take the sort of the good times and ultimately at some point, if you've got people working for you, ultimately you will be faced with that dilemma of of mm-hmm. having to exit people out of the business for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. it's part and parcel of the role of being a people manager. It really, really is.
0: So we're going to move on to how you're successful. And I know that you've had uh, some interesting times in your business. <laughs> yes, more, we More have. recently as well, which yeah. i will like share with us in a second. What I want to ask you, right, is what's the secret of your success?
1: Um, I guess there's one word that always springs to mind, and that's resilience. You know, I, I kind of – I think you're dealing with things every single day. Um, and it's having the ability to kind of, when, when things do get tough and there's challenges, is, you know, being able to dust yourself off and, and get back on the horse and and carry on, um, you know, and particularly in the business world over the last three or four years, I particularly, you know, with everyone knows the impact of COVID. Um, you know, it has been challenging. It really, really has. Um, but, you know, th- th- there was a lot of bright sh- sort of green sh- um, shoots in the business world and there's a lot of work out there and, you know, There's a lot of opportunities. Um, But I think, yeah, resilience is really the key with this um, because there's so, so many um, things that you have to deal with and be conscious of and manage and all of those things.
0: Good. Thank you. And so you've had a great grounding in various firms that have been successful and some that have been not so successful and then then more recently you decided to take a big step didn't you and what did you do
1: so um yeah when I I kind of come out the corporate world and I kind of always kind of um think about there's two two sort of guys that I worked with that had a huge impact on my career uh, one was my operations director within the manu- uh, the textile manufacturing business, and one was my last manu- managing director, who subsequently became a, a very successful coach. Um, and they, you know, they they gave me two two different sort of kind of things. Uh, and the first guy it was very much around um, kind of running a business, um, and uh, I guess the the mechanics of the metrics around you know financial performance and what's mm-hmm. important. Uh, and the second guy was more around the the sort of team aspect um, and the people development aspect uh, and the importance of relationships and personal development. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, I, I kind of been very fortunate. Those guys have a, kind of had a, a huge influence on me. Um,
0: and what did yeah. what, what? And then you moved on to set up your own set up on your own. Didn't
1: you? Yes. So I kind of um, set up on my own um, in 2017. Um, and, you know, kind of come out of the corporate world, kind of thought, what, what will I do? Well, I know I'll be a consultant. Um, nobody really knows what that means, um, mm. but it sounds really professional uh, and really impressive. So I feel that's a good start. Um, I'm no longer a consultant. I don't class myself as a consultant. Um, so, yeah, so we, we started, uh, I started as a contractor essentially. Worked with um, a number of household names in terms of manufacturing. Again, in predominantly process improvement, people coaching and training roles. Yeah, Um, that's been a core part of our business, and we still support um, manufacturing organisations. But over the last kind of few years, I've kind of diversified, and I do a lot more one-to-one coaching, um, particularly in the neurodiversity field. Um, which is helping and supporting individuals that have maybe um, dyslexia, autism, ADHD, Tourette's, um, and I've probably over the last four years worked with about fifty different individuals from various um, sort of um, areas of, of business, of academia, of, of the health service, and yeah, so predominantly that that's kind of where we spend our time. Um, we've we've grown our business. Um, we we did have to take a re a, a kind of a, a, a reevaluation post COVID, uh, yeah. and unfortunately we had to close our original business and restart um, in order to to kind of um, I guess um, start again, which is where the, the kind of the name of our business comes from, which was kind of Phoenix from the flames. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because at that time, we've kind of been impacted um, absolutely incredibly hard by COVID and the impact of lockdowns, of restrictions, of and it kind of decimated our business. So, yeah, so we were born out of that. Uh, and currently, there's, there's five of us today. Um, we're, we're 18 months into Phoenix. Um, we're doing very, very well. You know, still got early kind of uh, early years challenges. Um, but, but yes, you know, last year in our first year accounts, we made a small profit, um, which is really, really good on a class as a, essentially a startup business. Again. In, the, in the first year, that's phenomenal, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I won't go into the details, uh, but having to pay corporation tax of £63 after your first year
0: is a success in my book. Well, yeah, Absolutely. and it's a success for the tax man as well, HMRC, I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got a hell a you, you have, have
1: to pay you? You have to pay your piece, you know that. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. yeah, so, you know, it's a success. It's, um, you know, we're, we're now um, part way through, I guess, two thirds of the way through our second year of trading. Uh, things are um, very positive for us. Uh, I've got a great team around me. One one individual in particular has been with me almost from the start and yeah. been very loyal. Um, and she's um, a, you know a fantastic member of staff. So we rewarded um, that by um, uh, awarding her a directorship earlier in the year. Okay. Um, so yeah, so um, we kind of we've kind of build a family business. We're all kind of connected as well. Um, and ultimately, we're we're trying to build a, a business based on some real core values, um, you know. So and and provide a good level of service to our customers, um, and clients. And that's, I guess, that's all you can do. Um, you know, having them high standards, I guess, really helps. That that have been with me throughout my whole career.
0: Yeah. So if if I just so if I summarise on what we've talked about so far, so. You joined the Navy, spent most of your time on land. Yes. Which, 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 which might be seen as a challenge. That is true. Um, yeah. And you came out, you worked for Land Rover, so you landed on your feet there. Then you fast forward to 2008, right, and you join a company that's all looking great and dandy. And, oh, then, boom, and then the bottom drops out. You have to make people redundant. One of your own friends, which, which didn't go well for the relationship, everything's going... Then you recover, you come through that. You set up your own business in 2017, and then uh, 18 months ago, it all goes per shape. Um, Absolutely. Right. And, and when, you, when you set up your business in 2017, you recognise how important coaching is and financial support and what have you, and knowledge, um, which I totally believe in, and that's why I love what I do. Uh, and I know that you work with neurodiverse uh, individuals yeah. which is absolutely fantastic um knowing people who have dyslexia and adhd and other things because they're great people it's just
1: a, yeah 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 just think different
0: differently way,
1: yeah i have a i have a term joe there is no such thing as normal we just no. all think differently and, and that's all that i kind of promote when i talk about neurodiversity yeah. is that everybody's different and we should you know we should be accepting of that and celebrate it.
0: Yeah, I, I and I don't know about you but if you're anything like me I I like being abnormal.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you know. Again, you know, it's, it, you need these um individuals within teams because it's because it's amazing to have that creativity, that yeah. problem-solving ability, you know, we need diversity. Um and, in and all using, walks of life.
0: Yeah, and using the term abnormal not in a derogatory sense. Abnormal because nobody as you say is normal.
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting actually is that the the, kind of the the origins of uh, kind of dyslexia and dyscalculia and dysgraphia and dyspraxia comes from the word, uh, the Greek word dys, d y s, which actually means abnormal or bad. Mm. Um, So even in its whole terminology, you know, it's kind of um, ironic, I guess.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, Uh, maybe you should start a campaign to get rid of the dys.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and just call it Alexia. I yeah. Mind you, you might even get it playing a tune if you did that.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it, it,
1: it is, you know, it's quite powerful stuff. And, and, you know, awareness is growing, you know, acceptance and inclusion are, you know, on most agendas within the corporate world. Um, and that's that's fantastic. It's amazing. And we should be celebrating. You know, yeah. we just recently, last week was Neurodiversity Week or the week before and and you know we should be raising awareness running campaigns and and celebrating of that, course. You know, that we are all different and we are all you know we do all think differently but we all bring different values and strengths um and that's that's what we need to focus on rather than you know thinking about well you've got um x condition which means you can't do this well that's mm-hmm. actually fine but i can do this and i can do it really well
0: yeah, so what can you do instead, yeah. Absolutely, you know, separate and, and, strengths. That, and bringing uh, the military mentality in, like you have infantry, artillery, special forces, Navy, yeah. Air Force, oil yeah. engineers, REME, the lot, we all come together to work our different skills and strengths to make us an unbeatable force.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, that, and that's the idea. It's like any kind of team, isn't it? It's them diverse mm. skills and ways of thinking that ultimately, you know, Will will make the team successful.
0: Yeah, and and we touched on it uh, not so much in in the subject itself. The fact is that the conversations gone taken us that way about networking, business networking, personal networks. How important do you think that's been in in bringing you to where you are now, getting you through the challenges and failures to success, whatever success looks like to different people. How how important do you think Business networking and social
1: networking. and I think it's vital. Absolutely. Both elements, business and social. And there's no, you know, there's no harm in, in crossover with them. Um, you know, I again, you know, starting my own business in 2017, I've never been to a networking event ever.
0: Right.
1: Um, you know, so it was completely alien to me. Um, I ended up joining one of the biggest networking organizations in the world. Um and it was phenomenal. Um, you know, and the, and the business that's passed within these groups and the support that's offered, um, is you know is is you know is priceless, mm. uh, particularly for startup businesses. Uh, and even you know, entering a, a networking group where you've got your accountant, your IFA, you've got your um sort of um SEO website, you've got you know all these key roles that you need to help and support you. You've got them all yeah. in one room. So you've got all that knowledge, experience, advice. Yeah. Um and again, you know, I, I've recently kind of kind of got involved in some ex armed forces networking events. And um, some of them, you know, can be quite unstructured and informal, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: There's a there's one in particular that's very, very informal. Um, but it's a delight to go there. It really is. And yeah. just meet. Um, kind of um, like-minded ex-forces as well. Yeah. Um, some of them are in business, some of them are not. Um, so yeah, and, and, that,
0: and that's one of the reasons when we went into lockdown, I came back uh, from being abroad on the 30th of March, nearly didn't get back. And and I'd been a member of a network, and and they were face to face, and they said, "What we're we going to do, Joe?" And I thought, "Well, what are you looking at me for?" And, and then what I did is I set up a, a network that met online. Know, yeah. Just to keep the support because that was really important, and and I brought that through. Now and I still meet with them, and 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 you know it's a it's a great network to have because you've got support, haven't you? Help and guide. Yeah, I,
1: I think that was kind of a, a real, uh, I guess, positive of COVID is the way that we communicate and how we we kind of utilise that. Mm. Um, you know if you look at you know just what we're doing today in terms of how easy that conversation and communication process is you know yeah. prior to covid you know the thought of a, a video call with somebody was like oh my god yeah or well you know that's not going to be we have to meet face to face because otherwise it's not going to you know it's not going to work well we're not going to have good rapport all this sort of stuff but i think it changed our approach uh, it really did you know and it changed the approach of collaboration you know if you look at the way Microsoft Teams is evolving. You know, I'm not a huge fan um, because I have an Apple, and I think there's a real conflict between Apple and Microsoft. Mine never seems to work properly. Um, my camera won't work despite what I do. Um, so I always prefer Zoom, and we had Zoom prior to, to COVID. Yeah. But I guess well, uh, the point is the cha- how, how it's changed, how we approach yeah. communication, and it's made it more accessible to us.
0: Yeah, well, and when I'm uh, speaking to clients now, who, who investment clients, that prior to COVID, oh no, we can't do Zoom or we can't do Teams, and now they just hop on and like these are these are retired clients yeah. who have significant sums and 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 they're quite happy. To Absolutely, meet. you know, even in the depths of
1: manufacturing where technology, you know, the far reaches of the factory where technology is never seen. You know, video conferencing, Zoom, Teams, whatever you want to call it, is now becoming a typical way of communication with people. If you can't attend the meeting, yeah. And again, you know, it's it's helping us be hopefully be more efficient. You know, I I you know, for for many meetings now, I look to do a a, a Zoom or a Teams because it means I don't have to travel to a site. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the added stress, or well, you know, and, and all and that goes along happy. with traveling. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's good to good good to the planet as well
1: absolutely so i think it's got benefits i mean obviously you know i don't think we'll ever replace um the kind of uh, i guess the value of meeting somebody face to face you know the body language you know the rapport the the spontaneity sometimes of it and all of that kind of stuff but i think it you know i think it has given us plenty now in terms of um, the value of of that communication um and the ease of it as well i guess
0: definitely and and you know we we we're, we're, we've touched on coaching and mentoring uh, and, and which is what I'll, a lot of what I do and as do you how important do you think it is to have a good coach or mentor someone who can just give you a kick up the backside when you need it and a, and a pat on the back when you need it and and all the things in between
1: oh these vital i mean we're, we're going to say that anyway aren't we yeah. Um, but yeah I mean, you know, what's the role of a coach? The role of a coach is to ensure that they get the best um, out of the individuals that you set them up to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the coach doesn't do the work. You know, the individuals do the work and there's that empowerment piece. But Mm -hmm. we're there to help them achieve um, and help them reach uh, and, and, you know, get to where they want to be um no, it, it doesn't matter what their goals are. Our job is to help them get there and support yeah. them on that journey. And, and it's, like, not, it's absolutely vital. Yeah.
0: And it's thank you. And it's not just us being able to do their job in a world class way. It's about asking world class questions absolutely. that can help yeah. them. Yeah.
1: And,
0: yeah. And I love putting together world class questions, probably like you.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, getting to know individuals and building that relationship and then seeing them achieve. I work with, you know, on the, on the kind of the neuro side. I work a lot with kind of um, within the health service of uh, professionals that are going through exams. Mm. Um, in particular, you know, um, those that are uh, sort of um, challenged with dyslexia uh, and, and and maybe struggling. Um, and I work a lot, and then seeing them achieve and pass exams and having that feedback and those conversations, you know it's it, you know you, you, just, you just can't get that um without being in that type of role. So I guess when people achieve and you know you you know even if um you don't feel you've helped them that much, the feedback is normally very, very positive.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, yeah, and i've I've said to individuals before. I, I recently had I worked with an individual that was in academia. That they they through the coaching program that we had they achieved everything they wanted to and I kind of you know a, a bit sort of pragmatic at the end like, well I've never really done much you said oh my god wow it's it's amazing yeah, yeah, you know? yeah and having that feedback is very very humbling I guess
0: good and thank you for that and it's great to hear because it, it is it is really great to think that we can have an impact on a life-changing experience for someone. I mean, that's so rewarding and humbling. We're coming towards the end now. And, you know, I'd like you to think about what's one tip, the one biggest tip that you've got that could help someone who is thinking of leaving the military or is a veteran and wants to be even more successful, or indeed someone who's not been in the military, what's the one tip that you would give them to help them to be a success?
1: Well, I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna do a shameless plug. Actually, at this point, um, there is a book, um, and I'm not that good because I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, but it's called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway," um, and it's famous. It's a kind of famous book within motivational um, and things. And I guess um, I-, I talked about resilience. You know, I, I guess the-, the one tip I can give people is is don't be afraid to try. Not everything you do works, whether that's in personal yeah. life or, or business. You know, we've tried lots of things in our business that have been, you know, not very successful. And we kind of hold our hands up and say, no, "Well, we give it a go. And, and and actually, it didn't really work for us. And we've got the, yeah. you know, the numbers that supports the fact that it was a terrible decision, really. Normally, they're mine. Um, yeah. So my team will normally say that they're my decisions that are really the, the bad ones. Um because, you know, when we make decisions, we don't really have the power of hindsight. So we never really make a bad decision on purpose. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, the one tip I'd be is um, try, try things, you know, don't ever be afraid to give something a go. Um, and, you know, and that's where if it doesn't work, that's where the resilience piece comes in. Dust yourself down, get get back up and try something else. Um, And if you truly want to kind of develop and be entrepreneurial, I guess that's it. Taking calculated risks, finding out what works and then, uh, and I guess making things happen. So I guess that's the kind of the the approach we have. Now, you know, again, my team will probably say that I take too many risks. Um, But you know, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't do anything, if you don't make any mistakes, you don't actually do anything. So, so I guess it's that emphasis rather than it being a singular kind of thing. It's more of an approach.
0: Thank you. And uh I just glanced over to, because I've read the book, and I've just glanced over and refreshed my memory. It's Susan Jeffers.
1: Right. Okay. It like doing anyway. Yeah. And,
0: okay. and and the just one more thing question is, how transferable do you think the skills are, are that we learned in the military when you come into civil Street?
1: It's not. It's not just that the. the it, it's not just the physical kind of skills. It's the you. Know, you touched on earlier about softer skills, but it's the values that it instills. Mm. Now, if you think about integrity, loyalty, trust, you know, reliance, all of those kind of really positive inner values. You know, that's kind of where I came out. You know, it was almost like a um, kind of a sausage machine. I went in as a a very inexperienced boy. And I know it's a cliche, but came out a man. Uh, And it is a cliche, but it's the values. You know, I learned, you know, my organizational skills, my expectations, all of those things, high standards. Um, But that integrity, loyalty, um, trust, you know they're all really really important not just in in business but personal also
0: yeah definitely well steve it's been an absolute okay. pleasure speaking to you and i know we're going to keep in touch after.
1: Okay. excellent all right
0: and uh yep yeah, i would like to thank you so much for being with us and thank you for sharing your journey okay thank you also for allowing me to do that